Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The Freedom of Limits, which was taught for Lent in 2021. Our culture speaks a lot about freedom, but usually assumes freedom is escaping any limitations. However, true freedom is found not in rejecting limits, but embracing the limits God has placed on us as His created image bearers. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. We are going to read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 28. And for those who are part of Bay Ridge normally, I'm going to be kind of doing a conclusion to the series. We've been looking at the freedom of limits. Today we're going to be looking at freedom from death and how Jesus as the second Adam gives us freedom from death. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 28. It'll all be up here on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bibles. encourage you now to hear the word of the risen, living Savior, Jesus Christ. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. The other day I got a call and a voicemail was left, and it was someone from the Annapolis capital wanting to ask me what we were going to be doing on Easter Sunday. And they actually, uh, you, you can actually read it, believe it or not, in the Capitol today. I was surprised they let me talk on the phone and say why we celebrate Easter and pretty faithfully uh, recorded it in there. And one of the questions was, you know, are you going to be uh, meeting in person? And I said, yes, we are. Uh, and he said, what are you going to be focusing on? And I said, uh, well, I've dug deep the resurrection. That's what we're going to focus on. And he said, well, you know, what about COVID? Is that going to affect things? And I said, well, obviously, you know, we're going to be wearing masks and we're going to be separated and we're going to be dealing with that. And obviously, COVID has brought the topic of death more into the conversation. But I stated this, and they actually put it in the uh, article this morning when I read it. I said, here's the reality. The rate of death per human being was one to one before COVID, it's one-to-one -one during COVID, and it will be one-to-one -one after COVID. COVID didn't change anything relative to that. We tried to hide the question of death. If we were wise, we would keep it right in front of us all the time. And today, Easter Sunday, is about the resurrection of Jesus, which is God's answer to the question of death. And it's how the ultimate limit of death is there 
But it's a limit we were never intended to have. Unlike the other limits that we've been talking about, this is one that we were not created for. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us the answer to this question. So this morning, we're going to look at what Paul tells us regarding what the resurrection of Jesus accomplishes and also how it's the completion of the biblical story and therefore gives us hope. It's related to everything else we've been looking at in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. So let's dive into God's Word. Now the first thing for us to remember is that we were created for freedom and life. COVID has kept death in the headlines. I mean, every day you can read and see what's the latest count, what's been going on, what's been happening. But you and I were not created for death. We were created to have a world to say, no one got sick today, no one died. It was supposed to be life for everyone. That was God's intent in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But to enjoy that, we had to be in a place where we would simply embrace the limits and the commands of God. And God said, if you do this, you will rule over everything. You'll not only be free, you'll be the rulers over everything. Psalm 8 is a reflection on Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and it goes over this, and we'll see that Paul quotes this text uh, when we look at 1 Corinthians 15 in a minute. But in Psalm 8, David writes, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. King David is looking, and he's doing a reflection upon Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And he says, when I look at myself, when I look at the human beings around me, we seem so small. We seem so insignificant. Why would you make us so central to your plan and creation? But you've told us, O oh Lord, that you have crowned us with glory and honor. You have put everything under us. And he reflects back to the, the creation account there in Genesis 1 and 2, naming all of the different parts of creation. And he says, this is what we were made for, the glory and honor of ruling over all creation. Now, Paul picks this text up in Psalm 8, here in the resurrection, and he says that because this is what we were made for, this is why Jesus came, to put that back on track. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is verses 25 and 27. He's quoted Psalm 8, and he says it's about Jesus ultimately. He says in verse 25, he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And in verse 27, he's quoting the psalm. He says, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when he says everything has been put under him, it's clear that it does not include God himself, who has put everything under Christ. So for just a moment, let me step aside and go back to my normal pastor-teacher role. Notice what Paul's telling us here. When you're reading Psalm 8, who should you be seeing? Jesus. If you're reading the Old Testament and you think it's about somebody other than Jesus, you're not reading it correctly. 
It's all about him. And so Paul says, look, when the psalm says that the Son of Man is going to rule over all things, it's about Jesus, the Son of Man. When it says everything is put in subjection to him, there is one human that's ruling over everything, and that human is Jesus Christ. But see, here's the interesting question you might say. Ah, but Paul, that was, maybe that's what God intended originally, but if you looked around, it's a mess. Everything doesn't seem to be in subjection. And in fact, death is raging everywhere. But see, what Paul wants us to understand is, yes, that's what Adam did. That's what Adam accomplished. But Jesus came to restore everything. And so Psalm 8, which is written long after the fall, long after Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. Psalm 8 tells us God's plan is still there. God still intends for human beings to be free, to be alive, and to rule over creation as his vice regents. And in fact, Jesus is beginning to do this already. But see, that leaves the question for you and me, what about death? Because whatever else we seem to accomplish, you know, Psalm 8's a beautiful poem about the glory of humanity, but it seems to almost ignore the reality of the curse and death. And we can look around today and say that there's all kinds of other things going on around us and we're accomplishing all kinds of things, but what about death? See, that's why Paul brings this text up in 1 Corinthians 15 where he is dealing with resurrection because Paul wants us to understand that Jesus is conquering even death. He has already conquered it, and he's working it for us. So notice here, Paul builds this entire argument in this section of his teaching on resurrection about death through Adam and life through Jesus Christ. It's important for us to understand, when I say the rate of death is one per human, that's not how we were created. And Paul wants us to know that. So he tells us that Adam's sin of rebellion is what made us slaves to death. Notice in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, he tells us, for since death came through a man. And so Paul's telling us, didn't, didn't, uh, creation wasn't built with death as part of it. It was not God's intent and design. No, it was Adam that brought death onto the scene. And in verse 22, he tells us it wasn't just for himself, but in fact, he says, for as in Adam, all die. If you are in Adam, which is all human beings because we're all descended from Adam, then you die. This is a statement back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. And then in chapter 3, where Adam falls, and especially in verse 19, where God says, here's what's going to happen. From dust you are, to dust you are going to return. Because you disobeyed my word, you rejected the limits that I had given you. So death doesn't just enslave Adam, but all of humanity, because we're all an Adam. If you want to read about this more, you can read in Romans chapter 5, where Paul says, we were all wrapped up in Adam's sin. Make no mistake, since then, every one of us have been Adam to our own soul. We've all willingly joined in, but we were all brought into this right there in the garden. And so, we make many great scientific gains. I'm, I'm amazed that in just over a year, 
since the COVID thing came, they came up with a vaccine for this. And the vaccine is being very, very effective. I mean, it's amazing what science can come up with. When plagues like this struck back in the Middle Ages, when you think of like, you know, the Black Plague, it would take like a decade for it to spread around Europe. And it killed almost 50% of the population. And we didn't have any ability to deal with it. I'm grateful for all those things of science. I'm grateful. We, the other day we were uh, watching, I'd sent it to Tim because he, he works in a space program, and there was a video of the space station with one of the latest rockets going off, and you could actually see the rocket launching out of Florida and going up, and the stages separate. I mean, it's incredible the stuff that science can do until it stands in front of death. And then it's utterly impotent. Because with all of our great knowledge we've brought through in science and all of the skills and things we brought out, people are still dying. Every person that is born dies. We have not been able to resolve that. And so COVID has just simply been a reminder of that. Uh, people in past generations kept that in front of them. They went out of their way to remind themselves. If you Watch the after hours videos, you'll notice that I, I often have a, a human skull behind me and I keep one in my office and it's not because I'm grotesque nor because I, you know, just like to, to do heavy metal symbols or something like that. It's because Christians for the longest time did that. They kept things like human skulls and burnt down candles and hourglasses around them to remind them your days are numbered. And if you are wise, you will live in light of that. But even if I do, what happens at the end? If we can conquer all these other things with science, but we can't stop death, how is that going to be resolved? Paul tells us, just as Adam is the one who plunged us into the curse and into death, it's going to take a second Adam to bring us out of death, to bring us into life, to reverse the curse. And that's exactly who Jesus is. Later in the chapter, he actually uses the phrase, the last Adam. He doesn't just parallel him. He actually says, Jesus is the last Adam. Notice in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 47, he says, so it's written, the first Adam became a living being. That's Genesis 2, 7. But the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. And there's a lot of play on words, because remember the word, the name Adam actually means man. That's, that's all it is. It means man. So in Genesis, when it's telling you the man, it's using the term Adam because it comes from the word for dirt. We're the, we're the dirt beings. And Paul says, I want you to understand something. There are two Adams. There was a first Adam, and then there is a last Adam who is Jesus Christ. And the first Adam came from the dust. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God scoops the dust, and there is Adam. And then God breathed life into him, and Adam became a living being. So Paul says, notice, Adam was dirt before he was a living being. But the second Adam didn't start from the dust. He came from heaven. He was a spirit who took flesh upon him. Jesus was alive and then came and took flesh. Adam was nothing but flesh until God breathed life into him. Adam's very nature is dust. Jesus' very nature is eternal life. 
So he's saying these two are very different. And this is important for us because if you want to understand the work of Jesus, you have to understand and grasp he is the second Adam. He came to fulfill the obligations where Adam had botched it up, failed everything. Jesus comes and fulfills them, and he says, I'm a new Adam. I'm starting a new humanity. You're in the one that is dead, that is dust, that is returning to dust, but I'm starting a new humanity whose basic nature is life again. And the first Adam is giving you nothing but curse. I'm going to give you nothing but blessing as the new Adam, as the last Adam, the second Adam. And so Jesus fulfills Adam's obligations, and in fact, he exceeds Adam in every possible way. And so this is why Paul, when he's arguing with these people over whether the resurrection exists, he goes back to Adam. And he says, in essence, the whole story wouldn't make any sense if there was no resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then Adam's sin wins, and God loses, and it will not be that way. So he tells us, notice in verses 21 and 22, this parallel, since death comes through the man... The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So notice this clear parallel that he's doing. And he's telling the Corinthians, don't you understand? Here's how the story is set up. There's a first Adam, and he brings death. And everybody in him dies. But there's a second Adam, thanks be to God. That is Jesus Christ. And in him is resurrection from the dead. The first Adam brings slavery and death. The second Adam, Jesus brings freedom and life. And Paul's in essence saying, which Adam are you part of? Which Adam do you want to believe in? Whose inheritance do you want to have? And this is not just the teaching of the Apostle Paul. The book of Hebrews deals with the same question. In Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 9, 14, and 15, but let me set it up. He's been quoting Psalm 8 again, the same thing that Paul quotes here. And he's saying, you know, what is man that you're mindful of him? Everything is under humanity. But the writer to Hebrews says, but there seems to be a problem because there's death. And it doesn't look like everything is under. So that's where we pick up in verse 9 because he says, we don't see all of this happening yet. And in verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. All of that is Psalm 8. Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do you see how he's developing the exact same idea? There is Adam. Everything in Adam is a mess. Everything in Adam ends in death. But Jesus has come. He took our humanity to himself. He took our flesh and blood. And how he conquered death was by taking death. He drank the cup of death to its dregs. 
And as like we were listening to in the song a few minutes ago, as we sang even when death was arrested, he drinks it to its dregs. He lies down in the tomb. It looks as if all is lost. And then he rises, shatters death's hold, opens the tomb, walks out, and says, I am the second Adam, and I have reversed the curse. I have conquered death. Life and freedom are offered to you in me. That's the story. That's the biblical story. To remove that makes the whole story make no sense. This is why Paul says, you Corinthians are acting like there is no resurrection of the dead. The whole story doesn't work if there's no resurrection of the dead. It becomes a pointless tale. And so Jesus, the true Son of God, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity, comes and becomes a human, tastes death for us, defeats death and the devil, and frees everyone who is in him and part of his people. Now, Paul then goes on and says that Jesus' resurrection, therefore, is not just for himself. It's a guarantee of our own. Because if he wasn't the second Adam, he might just be doing it for himself. He conquered it and leaves us to fight the battle on our own. But because he's the second Adam and he's completing the story, Paul says, no, it's a guarantee. When he's raised, it guarantees our resurrection. Notice in verses 22 and 23. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So notice here, I was, I was actually just uh, sat down this morning and rereading this in the Greek, and he's really clear. In Adam we all died. It's a, it's a past tense thing. But in Christ we all will be, future tense, made alive. So he's not here just talking about regeneration, that I'm alive in the Spirit, as glorious as that is. He's saying, no, as in Adam, death took over everyone, and you not only spiritually died, you physically die. So in Jesus Christ, you not only can be spiritually reborn, you will rise up from the grave. You will live again because that's what the resurrection of Christ guarantees. And he uses this idea of the first fruits, which, you know, in, in ancient Near Eastern cultures was when you got that first bit of the crop, it was the promise that everything was coming later. And Paul says there is a guarantee that something is coming later. The full resurrection when death is swallowed up in life and we, all the people of God, are being raised. And that first fruits is Jesus. Make no mistake, Adam was the first foul fruit of death. He was the first fruits of death. And in his death, you and I were swallowed up. But Paul says, I have good news. Because the second Adam is a first fruits as well. But his is not the foul fruit of death. It is the great, glorious fruit of eternal life eternal blessing, eternal freedom, eternal joy for every one of us. And Paul says when he returns, it is a guarantee. You know, Bobby's question this morning, this you can know. I don't guess. I don't hope against hope. I don't think it's a solid bet. When Jesus Christ returns, he will snatch you and I out of the grave. It is a guarantee because he's already won the victory it is already done that's what's interesting i didn't go over much but in verse 20 paul actually uses 
what's known as the perfect tense. Christ is standing as having been raised from the dead. I'm not talking about what's going to happen. I'm saying it's already done. That's why we know the victory is here and it's ours. And notice, Paul goes on and says, so what's happening right now? Well, the second Adam is subjecting everything to God as it was intended to be from the beginning because God hasn't forgotten what his original plan was, that everything would be subject to God and it would be ruled over by humanity. So notice in verses 24 to 26, then the end will come after Jesus' return and we've all been raised. When he hands uh, the, over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Because you might read Paul's words. You might read what the writer to Hebrews says. You might say, well, what about, you're saying all this about soulmate, but I'm looking and people are still dying, including Christians. And that's true. We are still physically dying. But Jesus is putting every enemy of God under subjection, even right now. That's what he is accomplishing. He is presently doing this, and he will complete it on that day. See, that's why we look forward. I was listening to a worship song uh, this morning. It's playing on the idea of every year at Passover time, which just happened, Jews, you know, leave a seat out, hoping the Messiah will come and sit at the Passover table. And they say, well, next year, perhaps he will come next year in Jerusalem. And this Christian worship song is saying, next year, I'm hoping it's the new Jerusalem. Next year, I'm hoping that the resurrection has happened, that Jesus has returned, that heaven has come down and been joined to earth, and everything God has promised is done. Friends, we live in that hope, and we live in that hope now. It's a hope, not in the sense that it's, I, I hope it's going to happen. It's a hope because it hasn't been finalized yet, but it will. Jesus will return. He will stand on the earth. He will raise us from the dead. The time is going to come. There's going to be a shout, and you and I are going to wake up, and we are going to rise up out of our graves we will be there with him, and everything will be done. On that day, Jesus is going to stand there and say, mission accomplished. Everything you wanted, Father, is done. Everything that was in your heart and mind when you made creation is done. Everything Adam messed up, there in, in Genesis chapter 3, has now been reversed. It is under your feet. You are all in all. That's what Jesus has done. Don't, don't lose sight of this. This is why when people want to monkey with things like the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, you, 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 can't, you can't change this little part of the story. Everything fits together Jesus is accomplishing all that God designed. So what does this mean for us? There's really one simple question that comes out of this text. Am I in Adam or am I in Christ? One of the Puritan fathers said, in essence, there's only two men, Adam and Jesus. And everybody else is hanging off of their belt strap. Which Adam are you in? Which Adam am I in? 
We are all born into the first Adam, and you inherit from the first Adam, and so do I. And what we inherit is slavery, disease, bondage, and death. But, see, because the second Adam is from heaven and is spiritual, we can be reborn. We can be born again. This is why you hear all these terms that when Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, well, do I have to climb back into my mom? No, you have to be born from above by the Spirit. You have to come out of the old Adam into the new Adam. You have to leave the kingdom of death and come into the kingdom of life. So I ask you this morning, have you, through repentance and faith, been transferred out of the old Adam into the new Adam? Because there is no other way. You can't be born into it. You can't buy your way into it. You can't get there any other way. It's simply repentance and faith. It's recognizing, I don't want to be the first Adam. I don't want to be part of that kingdom of death. I want the kingdom of life. Have you looked to Christ Jesus? Have you turned to him and received eternal life and freedom? If you have not, friends, I urge you with everything in me. This is why it's so important. You know, I made the little joke, and I understand why the reporter has to ask the question, but there's not a question what we're going to talk about. It's what we're going to talk about virtually every Sunday when we gather, which is the resurrection. Because if that's not true, if that's not real, this is all a game. It's all a sham. And in the end, death wins. We might make it an interesting tale. There might be twists and turns to the plot. But in the end, you're going to lose, and so am I. But if it is true, and it is, then there is a possibility that death does not have the last word. That Jesus Christ can raise me. And I can live, not just for a long time, eternally. Full blessing, full hope, full joy, everything I was made for. Have you received and done that today? I urge you with everything in me, do so. If you've never done it before, talk to me afterwards, and I'll be glad to sit and chat with you about that. Secondly, for those who are here and have done so, I want to encourage you, Christian, to celebrate the victory over death. Celebrate the victory over death. Jesus has conquered death, and that victory is yours. That, that song we sang was the first time we sang this morning. Death was arrested, and my life began. You walked out of the tomb with him on that day. See, I don't like that I am implicated that when Adam bit the fruit, I bit it with him. I don't like that. But you know what? I'll take it. Because it means when Jesus walked out of the tomb, I walked out with him. I'm guaranteed because the second Adam has conquered for me. And as bad as it is that at what Adam did, how glorious and greater is it what Jesus Christ has done for us. That is your victory and it is mine. And so we can have full confidence, full faith, and full hope even in the face of death. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of John Donne, who was an Anglican preacher, and he wrote a whole group of sonnets that are great, the Holy Sonnets. And in the 10th one, which is more commonly known as Death Be Not Proud, he wrote these words. I won't quote the whole thing. 
death, be not proud. Though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. And at the end, Dunn says, one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. And the body of Christ says, amen. That is true. That is the gospel. And it should be your posture and mine in the face of death. I don't make light of death, friends. It's going to come for all of us. It's a grievous thing. I wish it were not so. But we can have confidence in the face of death. We can lay there on our deathbed and say, death, be not proud. Where, O grave, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That's where Paul ends in 1 Corinthians 15. So I want to urge you, that is our posture. Now what we're going to do is we're going to be taking communion and then at the end we're going to, we're going to sing a response song, I Will Rise, uh, which, is a, which is a Chris Tomlin song. And so we're going to come to the Lord's table where we remember the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and where we look forward to the return of Christ, our resurrection and the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what we focus on every time we come to this table. So I want to encourage you, if you, uh, hopefully you grabbed one of the small packets, we're going to take uh, communion together at this time. And as we do so, I want to remind you of words that in the English language, coming out of the Book of Common Prayer, these are spoken very often. This is our confession of faith as we come to the table. Christ has died. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Friends, that is the gospel. That is the truth. And if you confess this with your mouth, if you believe Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ has come again, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then friends, you are saved. You are free from death. And you are welcome here at this table because you are part of God's covenant people. Everybody who does so is invited today to this table to receive a foretaste of the great supper. That day when he comes back and death is swallowed up Isaiah tells us that shroud is removed and we eat a feast of the finest meat and the greatest wine we've ever had in our life. This is a foretaste. Come and celebrate together. But what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, 
which is shed for all of you so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, all who are believers in Jesus Christ, I invite you now to partake. If you've never used one of the little packets before, you can rip off. There's two separate little compartments. Rip off the first, and let's go ahead and get the bread. And then we'll take this, pull back the second one and take the cup. Lord, this bread is the symbol of the body of Jesus Christ. In taking it, we confess that Jesus took a body to live for us. And his body was broken to pay for our sins. And his body was raised for our justification. In his body, he will return to earth to live with his people forever. And we look forward to that day with great anticipation. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, this is the cup of the new covenant. In taking it, we profess that Jesus' blood has paid the penalty for our sins, brought us to God, and secured our place as the covenant people of God forever. We receive it in faith giving thanks for its cleansing power and looking forward to the day when our faith will be sight. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. With joy we praise you, gracious God, for you have created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us. Even when we fell into sin, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ our Lord, who by his glorious resurrection overcame the power of sin and gave us new life. Therefore, we join our voice with all the saints and angels and the whole creation to proclaim the glory of your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we're going to stand together, and the worship team is going to be leading us in this song uh, called, I Will Rise, and then we will have a benediction. Uh, briefly. So we're going to give them a minute to come up. And I want to encourage you as we're doing so, the reason we're doing this uh, today is I proclaim what Jesus has objectively done. You and I are called every day to appropriate that and receive that by faith. He is risen. Your resurrection and mine awaits, but we will 
rise. So I encourage you to sing this song, sing it with gusto, sing it with faith, celebrating what Jesus has done for us. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. It is that God who blesses you now as I speak his word. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the Holy Spirit and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. Go forth, blessed, filled with resurrection power, and be a blessing through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.